Hello, everyone out there. Pulse hours, pulsers, pulsians, pulse listeners. Thanks so much for being back with us. Happy to be here for another ICS Pulse podcast. I am Gary Cohen. Soy Tyler. Yeah, we're happy to be back here again. Uh, and before we even jump into it, of course, we have a fantastic conversation today. <clears throat> but before even Gary can get another breath in, I got to ask him the question of the day because it's just been on my mind recently as we approach the end of the NFL season here. I guess we're at the more of the, the midpoint of the NFL season, but I think we're, in we're like getting week, there. Week yeah. 13 right now. Um, <clears throat> who maybe maybe this time we can ask. I, I'll ask you about your championship predictions in terms of nfc championship games and then afc championship game who do you think is going to each one excellent question i this is the obvious one but i think i'd go eagles niners on the nfc side yeah that's fair um i don't know dallas looks like they're pretty good but i don't i just don't know if they're on the same level and i don't know there's no other teams on the nfc side that i can see slipping in there you know um who else is there? Like Minnesota's been okay, but I don't think they're that good. Seattle's been surprisingly okay, but I don't think they're that good. So I feel like it's those three teams, but I'd pick San Francisco and Philadelphia on that side. Mm-hmm. AFC is a little bit harder. I mean, you can't deny Kansas City. Kansas City's always there. Uh, Miami looks really good this year. Yeah, I don't even know if the Bulls are, the Bills are going to make the playoffs. <laughs> Baltimore looks good this year. I'm going to go. I'm going to hope for Kansas City, Miami, because I think that'd be a really fun, high scoring, offensive minded matchup. And you get the Tyreek Hill, Patrick Mahomes thing going on. That's true. So I'm going to we don't usually do that. I'm going to have to ask your picks, too. Who'd you go with? I mean, obviously, I wish I know you want the Lions. I I know you got to you got to want the Lions. I know. I think they're right now. I think Vegas has them ranked in the NFC fourth right now. Behind yeah. Dallas, they're what eight and three. Eight and three. Okay, eight and three right now uh, as we record. Yes, hopefully to soon to be nine and three after Sunday's game, and then 10 they play the Bears this Sunday, right? Uh, Saints. Oh, Saints. Okay, they're going yeah. down to going down to New Orleans. So all right, yeah. Um, but I think it'll probably be, yeah, it, it's between. I think it's really between the Eagles, the 49ers, and the the uh, Cowboys. I don't know if there's because like the the steps between them are much smaller than the steps between Dallas and the Lions. That that's what I was saying. Like I can't see another one of these teams really slipping in there, other than those three. You never know, but no. those feel like the three powerhouses on the NFC side. Yeah, I mean Dak's been known to choke, but he hasn't choked recently. So right. Um, We'll see. It's a little more tricky for Dallas because they're not the one seed in their division. Uh, I think they're they're second behind. I think they're the yeah, same. They're behind the Eagles. Eagles. So yeah. they do have yeah. to win other games that the Eagles don't have to win. Right. So <clears throat> they could get booted early in the playoffs, but I don't know. We'll see. But I think I'm going to go. I think I'm going to go Eagles 49ers. And then on the other side of the ball, uh, other side of the ball, the other division, I would say I'd like to see the Ravens in there. Um, they've played fairly well this year. They have a, better than better than last year. I mean, they played okay last year too, but this year in particular, uh, they've been playing pretty well. They absolutely thrashed the Lions, which isn't any measurement, but it was like thirty six to six or something. Thirty six to three was the final score. It truly ripped my soul out. Um, <clears throat> but if we could get like a Baltimore, Kansas City. I don't even know if that's possible to happen, but uh, in the championship, that'd be that'd be a cool one. I don't think Miami is going to make it to the championship. Uh, I think they have just too many mistakes. Like they're they're a very clean team, and they can they can definitely murder. But I mean, they already lost to Kansas City once this year, which I mean, it gives them fire to beat them again. But right. you know, I don't know. No, yeah, no. yeah, I don't want to get Ted dive too deep into the football rabbit hole because it's not a football podcast. Although maybe, maybe that's the next one. But <laughs> if you're into these sorts of things, like if you look at point differential on these things, you know, like Miami's point differential, a uh, point differential is worse than the Bills, who are behind mm-hmm. them significantly. But the Ravens are way up there. I think the Ravens have the third best in football. I'm looking that up right now. They do third best in football behind the Niners and the Cowboys. <clears throat> so mm-hmm. yeah. 
it's they seem formidable and you know i'm i uh was born in louisville my parents went to the university of louisville so i'm you know i'm always a lamar jackson fan i'll i'll root for him so mm-hmm. yeah i wouldn't mind seeing that um uh, yeah and if you want to see a late night outtakes podcast with gary and i where we just talk about anything let us know and we can make <laughs> that happen tyler will talk about the lions all day long so um that's out there but yeah, we should probably talk cybersecurity and about our guest. We've got a, we got a great guy with us today, uh, Luis Norvaez. He's with Siemens Factory Automation, uh, has written a few articles for the site. He's actually doing a webcast with me next week as we record this on December 5th, if you want to attend. He will be doing a webcast talking about using SOAR and SOC standards in uh and securing OT, which is exactly what he talks about in this podcast, but uh, but a little it'll go a little bit more in depth in the webcast. Um, been a great guest, and like I said, we're talking about uh, using SOAR and SOC standards for for protecting OT, which I think is a, a very useful topic. I mean, not everybody is going to use a security operations center. Not everybody's going to hire outside people to come in and look at their stuff. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that you can't use you know SOAR for this. It's a you know, it, it's a more comprehensive approach. You're talking about using automation, orchestration, incident response, basically increasing the efficacy of your response and your response time, reducing downtime. Uh, a lot of good things can come out of that. Yeah, and there's a couple different foundations for SOAR, right? It's incident detection, alert triage, automated responses, playbook execution. There's a couple more in there that he will talk about eventually, so I will not list them all off right now. I'll give you something to look forward to. Um, but... SOAR is a it's a it's a very interesting method. I hadn't heard about it until this podcast. Um, and he also has a fantastic article on the site, Chainless Plug, that is coming very early here, that um we will have tagged in the description here that you can go ahead and check out with uh where he talks more about SOAR and SOC. If you don't want to listen, you just want to read, but you should listen anyway. So listen to the whole podcast. But it was a great conversation with him about about SOAR and SOC. Absolutely. With that, why don't we uh, why don't we go ahead and introduce the man and bring him in? Luis Narvaez is the regional product manager for controllers and cybersecurity for Siemens Factory Automation. He brings more than ten years of experience with automation technology in a variety of industries, ranging from theme park entertainment, which is fun, to oil and gas, and even machine tools and machining. Uh, very happy to have Luis on with us. Let's go ahead and bring him in. Welcome, Luis. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. We're we're excited to talk to you. So you've had a couple of articles on our site uh, that have been have been really valuable for us. So I'm I'm glad to actually be speaking to you in person. Well, this is not in person; it's over Zoom, but close enough to in person for a change. Yeah, yeah, I know it's uh, it's uh, the technology's definitely changed. I uh, probably over the last few years of, after COVID, a lot more virtual meetings and uh, than anything, but. Uh, Definitely appreciate the format either way. Absolutely. So we usually like to start off pretty simply. This will not be the hardest question you get asked. If you could just tell us a little about your career and kind of how you got to to where you are right now with Siemens. Yeah, actually, um, I've been in like kind of manufacturing or industry for um, over 10 years now and uh, various different industries, actually. I started off in the entertainment industry, um, ride entertainment industry. Um, working with their controls engineering. I went to school for electrical engineering and stuff. And um, that's kind of where I got my first exposure to automation technology or ICS technology, right? And um, from there, I a few years into that, then I got a job at Siemens in their uh, development program where I then rotated throughout other industries and process control, you know, oil and gas and um, the machine tools. I mean, these are completely different from from each other. But the good thing about it that I really appreciate is I really got to understand um, the different perspectives, the different applications of ICS technology that you know initially when developed, you know, in the '60s, probably was not intended for that. Was mostly developed for automotive industry, but you know, we see it in a wide variety of applications. Um, but yeah, so that's how I got kind of into like automation technology in general. Uh, now I'm the PLC product manager for Siemens uh, in the U.S. And, you know, PLCs, big part of ICS tech, uh, architectures, a big part of uh, OT environments. And um, 
I'm I'm kind of a techie nerd, you know, and cybersecurity was something that I didn't know a lot about, but I know was, you know, making a lot of noise. And so I started learning a little bit more and getting more um, into it. And I kind of raised my hand and volunteered to, you know, a lot of the folks in our marketing team and our uh, product management team said, hey, I'd like to take a little bit more responsibility into this, into cybersecurity and, and get familiar with it and help promote you know, a little bit about what Siemens is doing and then just in general industry best practices. And so over the course of the last three, three years or so, I've been fortunate enough to meet several people in the industry, go to several events, uh, trainings, um, and, and also network with people even within Siemens uh, organization to um, learn and also promote a little bit about you know, OT cybersecurity practices, not just, you know, Siemens products or solutions that can help with that. And so um, I love talking about it. I think, uh, you know, one of the topics we're going to talk about today that, that I think is somewhat uh, new or not really very commonly um, seen or talked about in OT environments is the whole solar and SOC topic. Um, and so hopefully, you know, we go a little bit into that. So you're a professional podcaster because that's exactly where I wanted to start. <laughs> so um, let's let's like let's really start at the beginning and baseline this. Can you define, you know, SOAR and SOC in the, within the context of OT cybersecurity and explain how they can be integral into to helping maintain a secure OT environment? Sure. Um, you said you said in the context of OT cybersecurity cybersecurity environments, right? Yeah. Um, but I think in general, there's, there's a lot of, uh, uh, correlation between OT and IT, SOAR and SOC. Mm -hmm. I mean, at, at the end of the day, right, the acronym SOAR, just for, for the listeners who, um, maybe are unfamiliar with these concepts, it just really stands for security orchestration, automation, and response, right? Um, in an OT space, you know, think about this, it, you know, kind of enables that quick detection, uh, automated to threats, response to threats, uh, industrial systems, uh, at the end of the day, I always like to, you know, for my colleagues or, or friends who maybe don't understand the really details behind cybersecurity or even OT technology, I always kind of relate it back to like, think of like a home security, home alarm system, right? Home security system. You've got sensors, you've got maybe like a controller installed somewhere in your home and that controller is like monitoring these sensors. Maybe it's a window sensor, maybe it's a door, um, could be sound, right? Broken glass breaks, all, all kinds of stuff, cameras. And this automated system, this controller, uh, monitors these sensors continuously if for any kind of anomalies. Again, a window opens when you've set the alarm system, you've walked out of your house, and this, the, the, I was about to say sore, but this controller basically, you know, says, hey, this is not normal. This is, this shouldn't be happening right now because the user said they're, they, they've left, right? Um, I need to automate a response. And so that's kind of what a SOAR does. It monitors a system, uh, OT environment, uh, monitors your industrial control system, um, and can automate certain responses. may not be fully automated, um, but there are some aspects that are automated when it comes to like decision-making of how to respond to a certain cyber event. When it comes to SOC, SOC, S-O-C, not SOC like what you put on your feet or or S-O-X, right? So white socks, red socks. <laughs> we'll we'll <laughs> no, talk about all that stuff later. We'll cover uh, yeah, that yeah. later in the podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. SOC uh, refers to Security Operations Center. And uh, that is kind of, think of it as a security company, right? So let's say you contracted ADT or whatever, insert, you know, home security company that you've installed all these things to. Uh, there might be a central team that's monitoring your alarm system from remote place or whatever uh, as well. And they're really just uh, focusing on the orchestration, just kind of safeguarding your um, your home system. Um, they could be the ones that reach out to you, right? One of the automated response of the, of the SOAR could be, hey, ping the SOC, let them know something's going on as well. And the SOC might be the people that call you and say, hey, is everything good? Are you guys safe? Um, what's the password? You know, whatever. Um, can we return this into a safe state and reset the alarms and all that? Um, or they might be the ones that calls the authority or the SOAR could do that. So 
there's a lot of um, handshaking between and correlation between SOAR and SOC that um, can be applied to the OT space that is really not very commonly found um, in ICS systems. Man, you're really setting us up for the alley-oop on segues to different questions here today. It's fantastic. Um, but so we're going to get into a little bit of understanding, you know, OT risk and vulnerabilities. Um, so what are some of the most pre prevalent risks and vulnerabilities in OT systems? How do they differ from IT cybersecurity threats? And then on top of that, um, what can SOAR do to help mitigate it? All right. It's like a so, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so let's, let's kind of take a step back, I guess. I always like to, before I answer these kinds of questions, I like to kind of define a little bit of, of differences because the, the, uh, a lot of times there's people that are, again, new. I was, I was one of those people. I'm still, I still learning every day, right? Um, that kind of core intermix vulnerability, risk and threats in the same like sentence and not really understanding like the differences or the similarities between each. And, um, you know, I, you asked about, um, you know, the vulnerabilities or whatever. So when we talk about vulnerabilities, we're really just talking about like weaknesses in a product, uh, whether it's software, hardware, it could be an application, it could be a whole system, a whole solution, right? A collection of products um, and softwares. Um, when it talks to risk, you know, we're talking about risk. We're really talking about the potential for, for, for destruction, Right. What is the potential of anything that can cause damage to the organization, to the organizational reputation, whether financial, whatever the case is, um, because of those vulnerabilities? Uh, and then when we talk about threats, these are really the things that we we can't really control. Threats are just, you know, refer to anything or anyone that can exploit those vulnerabilities, whether they're known vulnerabilities or not. Um, and it could be even accidental. Right. There's threats, there's constant threats of, you know, maintenance people or operations people um, doing bad things, not intentionally, but just things that um, could could um, put the operations in a, in, in a downtime scenario, a very dangerous situation or whatever the case is. So, um, sorry, that was a long-winded <laughs> definition. <laughs> I forgot the rest of the question. So if you don't mind, repeat the second half of that question question yeah so no problem the uh, second half of the question was you know how do these uh vulnerabilities in ot um differ from it cyber threats and then um what can soar do to help mitigate was the the tertiary part because okay. i'm asking we're, we're like cutting open an onion you know what i mean we're peeling it back so many layers so i mean some of these vulnerabilities are actually um I guess fairly common in IT spaces. Um, a lot of actually IT technology addressed some of these vulnerabilities in OT technology years ago. I mean, um, it, it's it's kind of hard because uh, OT devices think of like a PLC, a programmable logic controller. The lifetime of a PLC is typically like 30 plus years, um, maybe more, you know, or, or more or less um, installed on site. And so, you know, as products age, the the risk of being vulnerable or more vulnerabilities published against that product uh, increase. The maturity of your cyber your cybersecurity posture kind of goes down if you just kind of maintain it in that current state when it was installed. And so, um, it just it, it presents a lot of other risks. Whereas in the IT space, you know, technology changes a lot quicker. A lot of times nowadays, um, in the IT environment technology is is least so shorter life cycles things like that and uh and so some of the the potential vulnerabilities when it comes to the products could be some something as simple as like denial of service or just open ports open protocols that are not protected um, we actually see that quite often in ot devices where um, they're using legacy communication protocols that you know when they were first designed 20 years ago into the product there was no reason to believe that a malicious actor could even be on the network to exploit those 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 protocols or vulnerabilities in the protocol to to do anything bad. So it just was never designed into the product that way. And so you often hear these uh these these concepts, these terms saying that ICS products are insecure by design, 
or insecure by default or things like that. And um, one of the things that I'm really proud of, at least for working for Siemens, is that they've really taken a, a strong stance over the last several years to incorporate more secure practices and more secure functions and features into the products, prioritizing that into the products as they come out with new releases every year. Things like encrypting you know, protocols and um, securing configuration data and applying certificates and keys and things like that that can uh, address certain uh, vulnerabilities that maybe just five, 10 years ago were um, uh, not addressed. When we talk about the risk um, associated with that, right? Let's let's think about some potential risks of, of um, these vulnerabilities. It could be somebody, you know, a competitor or whatever, trying to steal intellectual property, even if it's not a competitor, right? We think about the potential of a malicious actor stealing intellectual property it could be uh, to understand what the process is doing. If this is like an oil refinery or this is a um, nuclear site or something, and you want to understand where data is flowing within the network, there's a lot of information just within a controller logic that can kind of help with that, right? Or SCADA systems or HMI systems, um, operator screens that can help uh, malicious actors understand the data flow, understand the process, and really target, hone in their target as to what they want to, I don't know, attack, right? Um, it could be damaging products or goods, or in the case of the old Oldsmar um, uh, water treatment facility, right? Could maybe poison the water supply of, of, of local communities. Um, and that inherently comes with other risks, right? Now you're on the front page of news and you're having to, you know, fight fires and media fires. And so your company reputation's at risk. You're affecting public health, maybe, if, if um, the whole colonial pipeline situation, how did that affect public health? Well, now you got people going crazy for gas and they're putting gasoline in plastic bags. Okay, that's a human, uh, <laughs> that's a human thing. You can't really uh, count, account for that, but um, but there's consequences with those kinds of things. And and at the end of the day, the root cause of that was a cyber attack on the IT side. And then they didn't know what to do. And so really what SOAR and SOC does to address some of those, um, you know, think of like um, in, in the case of, we actually had a, a, a use case uh, recently, not recently, but a few years ago when uh, WannaCry was, was, was a big thing. We had a customer that um, got infected with WannaCry and it passed through their OT, their network and hit their OT systems. And they had several installations of PC-based controllers uh, throughout the factory floor. And they couldn't understand why they were getting these intermittent drops of data loss between the controller and the SCADA and operations and stuff. It was very intermittent, not, you know, uh, predictable or anything like that. And uh, they didn't have any kind of automated response in place. Um, it basically took them like two, once they figured out what it was, it took them about two calendar weeks to recover, respond and recover the system back to a known good state. With a SOAR, which um, we recently kind of announced a SOAR solution a few years ago, but um, with a SOAR solution, they could have brought down that auto that response time, automated it to it could have been you know down to seconds or milliseconds, right? And maybe they would have only spent eight hours of recovery time, right? Instead of two thousand um, man hours to to respond and recover to the system. Think about a production system that's you know critical. How long that that takes if you're a municipality and you're taking two weeks to respond and recover to a cyber attack? That's uh, that could be pretty bad, or or maybe some other um, process that's um, affecting profitability or whatever the case is. So. So when it comes to cybersecurity, I mean, a lot of companies may have some sort of plan in place. You know, the bigger companies definitely have some sort of response plan or even just a baseline set for, you know, some sort of just general protection. But I mean, a lot of these smaller companies don't have that as much. Maybe whether that's, I mean, they can't, don't think, don't think they can afford it. If it's negligence because they don't think people, they will get attacked because there's always like, you know, the bigger fish thing. Um what for organizations just starting out on their journey, um, what are some essential steps they can take to ensure ro robust security um, posture 
from just from the beginning on the odd set? I mean, for that's there's no one size fits all answer I have here. I get asked that a lot. I think everybody, cybersecurity professional or otherwise, gets asked that, and everybody's just trying to figure out where to go. Um, I'm I'm a firm believer. It starts at the top. Stops starts whether wherever, um, however big or small the organization is, small business versus you know large enterprise, global enterprise. Um, it's definitely a culture um, adoption, right? And if you don't start at the top and you don't push it down, um, one one man army is not gonna not gonna do it. And, and you'll find those people within the organization that have, like I said, my, myself, I kind of raised my hand and some people that might have a passion or interest in, in you know, looking into these things um, and people that genuinely care about the organization and success. And I think it's okay to, to assume that everybody works for an organization or most people that work for an organization genuinely care about the success of the company that they're working for. Or, you know, if you're working for a public utility, also, especially living in that county or whatever, you obviously care about that, <laughs> the success of, uh, of, of those um systems um but i think it starts with that um i think the other aspect that's key is um to work with partners um both internal and external uh that have expertise with with cybersecurity technology with cybersecurity practices and here's the kicker manufacturing processes and technology oftentimes I go into these meetings sometimes where customers want to learn about what they can do to protect their automation equipment or things like that. And they'll have like an IT guy in the room or some consulting company that, you know, is very successful, very proven in protecting IT systems or, secure, you know, provides the security support or whatever for IT spaces, you know, office environments. And, um, Oftentimes there, you know, it's easy to, it's easy for security professionals to say, well, look, you got technology is 20 years old. Here's a list of all the vulnerabilities in the product, just patch them and you're covered. But what's missing is the operations guy that understands the impact of doing something like that. And sometimes that's missing. So having a partner internal to the company that understands your business process, understands your operational process is very important. So having that both both perspectives from, I'm not saying that the IT savvy or the, the security savvy, IT security savvy people are not necessary, but I also understand that there are people on the factory floor that understand the processes and understand the procedures that are in place and can advise, can provide value insight, valuable insights to say, you know, <clears throat> sure, this vulnerability can be addressed with a firmware update, um, but like if somebody's on our network, that's that vulnerability on the firmware is, is not, not our biggest problem. We should probably look at something else, right? And then you start to really have some valuable conversations as to um, what what things you can improve on. Uh, and, and, you know, I, generally it probably won't jump to a sore sock solution in the first discovery, but, um, but eventually those are kind of some of the foundational things. Um, and then... Probably the third thing general um, that I would say is recognize that there will need to be some sort of multi-layered security approach in the organization. It doesn't um, just fall with data integrity or data security. There's got to be some system hardening measures. There's got to be the right people in place, like I mentioned in the previous you know, point. Um, and then there, there, there's also that data security piece, securing the network, securing the communication, securing the data that's being passed. Um, there's, there's a, there's a, there was a study recently, um, 2022, I think Gartner did a study um, that they, they said 60% of manufacturing organizations are still kind of in this awareness phase of, of their OT security journey, which basically just meaning like, you know, um, and, and it could be fueled from news articles, right? The, the Colonial Pipeline, Oldsmar, all these like uh, Stuxnet from 
a decade over a decade ago, right? All these major cyber events in OT are really starting to wake up organizations and are starting to get into the phase of discovering what do we need to do? Are we secure enough? What you know? What do we have the right people or processes in place? I had a call last week with a, a machine builder, a uh, small machine, relatively small. I mean, sorry, probably medium-sized machine builder. And they were starting to ask, what can we do to secure our machines, our equipment that we're sending out to customers? Normally, you don't hear those conversations from machine builders because they, you, you know, a lot of people say, well, let's leave it up. It's up to the asset owners or the end users to specify cybersecurity requirements. Um, but good on those machine builders that are taking the initiative to also provide added value to their customers and say, hey, we don't just provide a product that does XYZ for you. Um, it can also, you know, we also implement certain measures that ensure that your data is protected and your, you know, downtimes minimized because of, you know, potential cyber um, cyber threats, right? So, um, so that's maybe not as shocking, right? That that many organizations, that percentage of organizations are still kind of in that discovery phase. It's, it's kind of a new concept. And, um, you know, I, I think those, those three points I said earlier, having, you know, um, the top down buy-in, having the right partners and kind of thinking about a strategy or concept that you don't want to deploy onto your OCS on your, I, sorry, onto your OT, uh, ICS security, um, system. That's maybe some of the foundational things that you should um, start off with. Um, uh, from there, you know, there's, there's all kinds of other things. There's a yeah. NIST cybersecurity framework that people like to refer to and, you know, things like that, but you got to get those foundational, uh, concepts in place before you start doing those other, uh, aspects. Right. I mean, we're recently coming out of Cybersecurity Awareness Month, and that's kind of the whole purpose of the month is like, let's get some of these basics down and yeah. then we'll go from there. Um, yeah. So let's let's take the next step and keep talking about SOAR a little bit. So let's assume an organization has taken your advice and done some of these best practices to try to get some basic cybersecurity measures in place. You You said a few minutes ago that nobody goes to probably SOAR on first discovery, but say they're at the place and they want to start trying to implement SOAR, how should they approach the planning to, to try to use that to enhance their security operations further? I, uh, I'm, I'm really a big fan of, of having um, the right people in the room, right? Uh, I, I spent quite a bit of time just now talking about having the operations people in place. Um, you know, technology is very important. So obviously having the right partnership with companies that can provide the right technology and services to implement SOAR and SOC uh, solutions is, is great. Um, but at the end of the day, this is all automated. The, the, the goal is to have this automated to reduce the impact of, of a cybersecurity threat or cybersecurity event, <clears throat> right? Reduce that that downtime or that, dis that uh, response and, and recovery phase from what did I say earlier that that customers two two weeks six thousand man hours to like uh, to to I mean ideally milliseconds right or um, and there are solutions out there I mean think about how do you how do you make uh, how do you make soar attainable for the OT mindset so soar technology is traditionally you know IT technology um, we don't see it a lot on the OT side. Um, it's somewhat of a new concept. And so look at people who have the automation background. And <clears throat> if you're a smaller company and maybe you don't have the funds or um, the wherewithal to, to, to or the, sorry, the funds or uh, the ability to adapt a very robust SOAR um, or SOC service or solution or contract or whatever the case is, there are technology out there that you can start implementing similar solutions with automation equipment. I mean, the I mentioned the the Siemens solution, CyberProtect. That all uses ICS equipment to essentially create a source solution. So you can have um, intrusion detection, right? Incident incident detection. You can have um, the the orchestration and the automated, right? A automation. Uh, controllers right plcs those those are 
specifically handled handling uh, automating tasks and this could be automating responses uh, and the response piece right there's what do we want to automate we want to automate the response and so um, how do we do that right so there are solutions out there that are don't require a lot of investment that um, doesn't really affect the downtime and can actually still provide some robust protection against cyber threats um, it just takes a little bit of, of, of uh, thinking ingenuity. And I think the big part of that is, is the right partnerships. Like I said, having the right people, having the right partners in the room uh, can help kind of navigate those, those waters. Absolutely. So, so let's talk about uh, the humans in the rooms. So we talked about automation. I'm going to ask you basically the same question, but about a SOC team. Uh, so if an, if an organization wants to go about either forming their own SOC team or they want to hire somebody, how would you start with that process? What are the roles that need to be filled? What should people be thinking about there? Hmm. So I, I envision, um, I envision a sock in the OT space kind of being a little bit more, um, it, it's going to take some time. Um, there, there are socks out there, sock solutions out there that employ a little bit of like, and I'm going to say maybe a forbidden word in, in a cybersecurity space, maybe artificial intelligence or um, machine learning practices. And, you know, there are those things there too. Um, you know, so having people that maybe have some experience there, but again, I think the operations people are very important. Um, you can build up the people on the, that are in your factory to um, work those, 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 um, those roles. Um, and so, you know, the big part about the sock piece, right. is kind of the, um, the, the, the automated response or even the human response, the sock might be able to detect th threats or anomalies might be able to automate some responses, maybe even, you know, put certain cells into quarantine. So the rest of your production can remain operational. At the end of the day, you're still going to need some human intervention to be able to decipher whether this threat was an actual threat or is this just somebody not following procedure or is this something that we didn't think about when we defined these rule sets for the automated response and now we have to account for, right? There's always going to be that human piece to it. And the other side of it is, is I think uh, one of your previous podcasts, you mentioned that cybersecurity is a revolving kind of process. It's an evolving thing. It's not something you just do once and you leave it there and, and okay, we're secure, right? I mentioned earlier as the lifetime life cycle of your installed base ages, your maturity goes down, right? So you have to kind of, and the, the amount of threats go up. And so you kind of have to keep optimizing your, your rule sets, optimizing your people, getting the right training in place, um, for that. Um, I don't really have any good examples of like companies that offer like SOC or, or, or SOAR services in OT. Like I said, it's a relatively kind of new concept. I haven't seen a whole lot. I mean, I'm not saying that there aren't any or there aren't a lot. Um, but just given the nature of like where I sit in the organization, I don't get exposure to a lot of those discussions. Um, but I do know that there are some solutions that relatively easy to deploy very robust and offer the same um, type of, of responsiveness that you look for in a, in a, in a IT based kind of store solution. Maybe it's programmed a little bit differently and managed a little bit differently because it's OT and, you know, um, OT guys like the OT ways, you know, but, um, but for the most part, you know, maybe that's what you want, especially if you're a smaller organization and you don't have a whole team, you know, going around the solution having a um, scalable and still kind of manageable SOAR um, is, is a good piece to that. So, All right. So my next question. I don't know if that, you, sorry, that I, was was saying, I don't, I don't know if that answered your question, but. Uh, <laughs> I think but, it uh, got us. I think it got yeah. us close to what we were looking for. And yeah, we'll, yeah. Don't worry. We'll, uh, we'll use our editing technology here to beep out when you say artificial intelligence and machine. Nah. Take that right out. <laughs> That's okay. So my next question for you here is, you know, just bringing the two worlds together um, with the integration of SOC and uh, SOAR. How do SOAR and SOC work together in an OT uh, space? 
you know, and what are some of the challenges and benefits of integrating these two concepts together? Well, you know, I, I, I mentioned, um, I mentioned the, the kind of, uh, complementary op- uh, piece to both of them, right. Um, where the sore lies, where the sock lies. And I try to, I try to correlate this, like to simplify things into like how we live our daily lives. So I, I brought up the home security system as a, as an example. And, and, uh, you know, I'm going to try to go back to that. So when I, when I, I brought up the SOAR being kind of the, the home security system where you've got all these sensors um, monitoring windows, monitoring doors, monitoring the noise. Maybe you have cameras that detect motion or whatever the case is, um, the sensors that detect motion inside the house, right? There's all kinds of technology out there today that can help a system determine that a cyber event has occurred. Um, now, in an OT space, think of this as um, these sensors as devices that can monitor like network traffic um, or monitor spikes in uh, uh, electricity, right? Maybe, you know, an anomaly could be something that just maybe you've got an energy meter that's monitoring motor on off times, right? And a motor turns on when it's not supposed to, right? And now your tank is emptying out, you know, certain chemicals into whatever that's not supposed to happen. Um, those are kinds of anomalies that can be detected with a SOAR system in an OT space that, you know, people don't look at. And then there's other endpoint hardening measures that you can also do just like within the devices, like the PLC that can also detect anomalous behavior, things like pro- code changes, checksum, monitoring checksums, monitoring text lists, um, things like that, um, reporting diagnostic events to, you know, different servers, syslog servers, alarm servers, and things like that. Those are all types of things that can um, all be integrated within a, a SOAR solution for OT. On the SOC side, you know, uh, typically you have people in operations that also handle the monitoring of these things, right? just in a process by itself, think about like a, a normal, like manufacturing process or oil and gas or whatever process. There's typically some operator operating behind the screen. Actually, the Oldsmar is a good example. Um, water situation, right? Some values were changed remotely. And luckily there was an operator there and saw, Hey, there was an extra zero added onto this uh, parameter here and um, was able to catch it in time. Right. If the operator was not there, um, something bad could have potentially happened. Um, and, and nobody, it would have taken probably a long time to, to realize that what had happened, um, and what could have been done to prevent it and things like that. And that was a case where you had some human intervention, um, and had an operator make a decision that like, Hey, this is not normal. I'm going to, you know, report this as some anomalous behavior. Um, so I think there's some hand in hand piece that between the, the SOAR and the SOC piece that are already in place within manufacturing that people don't recognize are kind of low hanging fruit. Um, but that's some of the foundational things that can, that, that are there for, to implement a SOAR and SOC. Um, yeah. <laughs> Good question. And now I have, I have now the most important question for you. I mean, we asked this question throughout our whole Cybersecurity Awareness Month series on uh, every person that we asked, their entire career does hinge on this singular question. And now yours does too. Um, what is your favorite movie, TV show, uh, anything related to that that has to do with cybersecurity? It can be loosely or as closely related as you want it to be. We've got a nice variety of answers. What, what, what is your opinion? So I would say, like I said, about three or four years ago, I really started kind of diving into cybersecurity and one of like the shows that that was really hot at the time was um mr robot i think it was or yeah mr robot and um with rami malik or um was the 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 lead actor on that and um and it kind of like got me wondering you know there was a there was a scene in that show where they're trying to get into the evil corp or whatever they call e-corp you know and he gets in through the HVAC system and exploits some, you know, um, 
puts a little Raspberry Pi in one of the thermostats and that's communicating back to the main building management system and then overheats uh, the data center, which crashes all the computers and, you know, kind of chain reaction events. And I'm like, man, that's not far from what can happen today in, in real ICI. Like, you know, people always say like, oh, that's Hollywood magic, but no, that's, that's, uh, that happens, you know, and, and uh, it has happened, I'm sure. And it, 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 it does happen. And that's something that a lot of organizations probably don't have the uh, um, a, a proper measures in place to protect against that. Right. And um, that really kind of got my interest into cybersecurity. So I would, I would probably say that that, but I will say one, one more thing that to kind of add to that. I also love playing chess and I kind of find the concept of like, cybersecurity, finding ways to protect the system. You kind of have to put yourself in the shoes of the attacker as well and, and try to understand ways of, you know, attacking a, a, an ICS system, potential attack vectors for, for OT, uh, to really understand how to protect against that. And so, so chess is kind of like a little bit in, in the same way, right? You kind of have to think about your opponent's next move before you make yours or and they're doing the same thing to you, right? So it's a little bit of a chess match sometimes when it comes to thinking about cybersecurity, protecting OT environments and everything. And, and so that's, I don't know, maybe it's just maybe uh, too, too uh, philosophical, but that's the other thing I always think about when I think about cybersecurity is what's the next move that, that, you know, we can think about. And I'm always thinking about like whenever a new feature even comes out on a controller or, or one of our other products, I'm always thinking about like, you know, what's a way that somebody could potentially you know, use this feature or, 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 um, or what's a way that this feature could actually protect us, uh, uh, an ICS system, industrial I, control system. I, I love the chess analogy just because I, I taught my, my kids chess still when they were pretty young and they couldn't understand why I didn't let them win. I, I would play and, and, and then I'd end up beating them. They couldn't understand why I was beating them. And I was like, because I am thinking about what you're going to do three moves from now and you aren't doing that yet. And then, you know, I saw them make that shift where they're like, Oh, this is what dad's going to do next. And then they got really competitive, but yeah, that idea of like, well, what is the next move going to be? You could be wrong, but anticipating that is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's, uh, maybe not every, not everybody gets that analogy, especially if you don't understand chess, if you've never played chess or <laughs> don't know how to play chess, but Essentially, it's like any game, you know, it's it's trying to anticipate your opponent, think of basketball or football or anything mm -hmm. like that, right? You're reading the quarterback's eyes or or baseball. You're trying to see the next pitch before it leaves the pitcher's hand. You know, there's all kinds of analogies you can think about that correlate back to cybersecurity. And it, I hate to say it's like a game, right? It's, this is real life. It's very serious. But, um, but it's just the way that I connect to it and way that I kind of build up a little bit of passion behind it so yeah it's all one big strategy but uh well Luis, thank you so much for joining us and uh sitting in with us and just for the great conversation around cybersecurity. thanks for having me man this is this was great all right and that was our conversation with louise um it's always fantastic talking to him. We've talked to him a couple times now, uh, just between podcast recording, all that, read his article. It's great talking with them. I was especially interested, as I am always with these and the previous Cybersecurity Awareness Month podcasts, what his favorite cyber movie was so or TV show. And, you know, Mr. Robot's a pretty good one. So, uh, yeah, just... Just good to hear that. It's it's a popular one. I mean, there, there's two things that, that I took out of this one. Number one, I mean, you know, you don't need to use SOAR. You don't have to. It's just a, it's just a, a strategy that you can use. But he pointed out that Gardner study, which we look at all the time, but the idea that 60% of companies are in that awareness, still in that awareness phase. Like, we know we have a problem. The idea of this and the reason that you'd want to use something like SOAR, or if you if you want to bring in a security operations team, I mean, that you can do that too, a SOC team, Um is just getting started, get started on this journey. And, you know, I think one of the things that's always fascinated me about Luis is, um, since we've known him, is uh, he's not, for all intents and purposes, a cybersecurity guy. 
He didn't come out with a cybersecurity degree. He hasn't been doing this for 20 years. He didn't come out of the military doing cyber ops. He's a guy who had an interest in it at Siemens. And Siemens went, great, wrong with it. And that's, you know, something so many people have come on this podcast we've talked to have spoken about, which is, you know, stop looking for the unicorn. Look at the people who want to do it and let them do it. And he's one of those guys who just, I think he had an interest in it. And so he committed himself to it. And it's become, you know, I, if you looked at his job title, cybersecurity was not in his job title until recently. It's mm -hmm. something that he took an interest in. And because there are so many people needed on the front lines of these cybersecurity battles, um, you know, I'm sure Siemens was happy to have him. And so, you know, he's, he's made himself an expert. I know people don't like the word expert in, in the cybersecurity circles, but he's made himself, uh, at least a practitioner in cybersecurity. So mm -hmm. interesting guy to talk to. And again, if you want to hear more from Luis, we are doing a webcast on the ICS pulse site, uh, with Luis Narvaez and uh, Jim Cook of Elta Technology, and they're going to be talking about how you can use Soren stock, stock standards to try to secure your, your OT systems. And I mean, obviously, OT, like the cyber attacks on OT have more risks. <laughs> He's He wrote an article for us that, that covered this. I mean, you're talking about, yeah, you, you can manipulate control systems. You can cause equipment damage. You can cause environmental damage. You can risk human life. So uh, if you're not doing something to protect your OT systems, now's the time. Yeah, and if you want to make sure that you're not risking other human life, I think the best thing you could do is look at the rest of our content on ICS Pulse. Preach. Uh, yeah, mm, yeah. we've got some other great podcasts. Uh, you should tune in and listen to all of our different Cyber Awareness Month episodes. Uh, we talked to a bunch of different experts there about you know, however, can kind of do their job better, their thoughts going into the new year, reflections on this year. Um, it was a great conversation with all of them. And then we have, of course, like Gary was mentioning, webcasts, uh, ebooks. You should definitely subscribe to our newsletters and podcast alerts. Um, and always, I guess, if you want to reach out to us, if you want to be on the show, if you want to give your input on if Gary and I should have a late night edition, you can reach me at twall at cfumedia.com. I am at G Cohen, G-C-O-H-E-N at cfemedia.com. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, stay safe out there.